Well, what a truly sad day this is as a cortege of cars make their way steadily along the road before me. The occasion of Mitsubishi leaving the UK market may be disappointing, but judging by the substantial crowd of well-wishers that have gathered here today at Mitsubishi UK's headquarters to wave some of the Mark's more memorable cars off, they're not going to allow it to be a tragic moment. Hey, oh, there goes the Mitsubishi Shogun, bought and admired by farmers and adventurers and those in need of a robust, powerful off-roader with excellent towing capacity. And what a crowd there is cheering that car. Next, oh, here comes the almost unbeatable Mitsubishi Lancer Evolution, very much a road-going version of Tommy Mackinnon's World Rally Car. And judging by the number of bobble hats worn by the people standing at the side of the road here today applauding, there clearly are plenty of rally fans here today supporting that mighty car. And finally, bringing up the rear of this entourage is the Mitsubishi iMiev, a pioneering mid-engined electric city runabout. And to wave that car off is Mrs. Enid Trout from Guildford, the only person who actually bought one. Hello, welcome to Gareth Jones on Speed on a momentous day. The day on which we all return to boozing in pubs, possibly, because that's what the government allows. Joining me for this episode of Gareth Jones on Speed is Zog. Hello. Alex Goy. Hi. And Sarah Leach. Hello. Hey, gang. Have you got plans to go to the pub, Alex? You've been known to swallow a drink every now and again. Have you got plans to go to a pub? Already been. I went for lunch. <laughs> Do you <laughs> I live within walking distance of three pubs. I thought I'd go and support my local business by nipping to the sun in Clapham Old Town, had the world's quickest pint, and then came back home and procrastinated for the afternoon. It was wonderful. Good for you. Well done. Pleasantly lubricated for this recording. How about you, Sarah? You been to a pub today? I went to, well, it was around 12 midday, and I did some outdoor dining. I went for coffee with a friend. Not quite beer, but still, it was outdoor dining and not quite a pub. But tonight, or after this, shall I say, I think I'm going to meet a friend in town. And yeah, we'll find somewhere to go, I think. I'm not a rager, of course, but just to get to a pub would be nice. Uh, hooray! Just the six or seven pints. Yeah. How about you, Zog? I'm ashamed to say I haven't been supporting my local booze pushers but later in the week, I'll be getting out for a drink with friends, I'm sure. Support your local booze pusher, I say. My favourite pub is the Old Shillelagh, which is a little Irish pub just within staggering and falling over distance from my front door, as I have tested on a number of occasions. I'm not going until Thursday. And my reasoning for that is it's got the best Guinness in the universe in this pub, the known universe. <laughs> and I'm slightly concerned that they may have had some barrels of Guinness sitting there for 12 months that haven't been drunk so I'm allowing all the other Celts who go to the Elgin to go and drink up the old Guinness before I open up a new one myself there on Thursday anyway I thought being as it's pub day today we should discuss car pubs 
I mean, I'm not advocating drinking and driving, but do any of you three know of any particularly good car pubs? Zog, I'll start with you. Have you got a favourite car pub? There's a pub not far from Goodwood that seemed like a good spot to pop in for a drink, ideally if you're not the one doing the driving. But the thing is, pubs and cars don't often mix all that well. If you're the designated driver, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I can remember quite a long time ago driving to a pub with friends, getting a little too drunk, making my own way home without the car, and then having to recover the car the next day from an impound (laughs) yard with a hangover. Ooh, double bad. Yeah, double whammy. I'm very happy that I didn't make the bad decision to drink and drive, but I wasn't happy about having to recover it the next day. I share your pain. Actually, I don't share your pain. I don't think I've been in that exact situation, (laughs) but I feel your pain. Alex, you got a recommended car pub? Well, there's the classic London sort of car pub. I suppose it started as a bike pub, which is the Ace Cafe. They do good sausages there, but I've not been there in years because it's out of the way. The one I go to is Caffeine and Machine. Oh, Caffeine and Machine. Yeah, I've been meaning to check that out, actually. Yeah, yeah, I like the look of it. Where's that? Caffeine and Machine. It's about two hours outside of London. It's on the outskirts of a tiny village called Ettington. You're making that up. There's no such place as Ettington. That's just an archetypal English name. (laughs) Yes, there is. It's in Warwickshire. It's on the Foss Way. The drive up is really boring for an hour and a bit, and then it's 20 minutes of country lanes. And then you get to this amazing white house with a big C&M on the side of it and every day's a car show the idea is you rock up in your car they do burgers they do coffee they do their own lager which is great they do t-shirts and stuff like that and there's always something interesting in the car park I go up there well in the before time I was up there sort of at least once a month I know the guys who own it Phil and Dan quite well I didn't just stumble on this place my mate owns it But it's a genuinely cool place. They do some really mega stuff. So they have theme nights. They've got Japanese car theme night. They've got hot rod theme nights. They've got uh, an air-cooled theme night for 911s and Beatles. They had a Best of British weekend. So British cars are highlighted. It's not just for those cars. You can rock up in whatever you have. But the theme night is, if you want to go and have a look at, say, a light car company, Rocket, and a Lotus Esprit, and a Morgan three-wheeler, the British car night, you're likely to see them all. And they get loads of stuff. They also do something that's quite close to my heart. They have an evening called I Love You Man, which they invite people, tends to be men, because men don't talk about mental health, and they invite a bloke to sit on the sofa and have a chat with Phil and Dan about mental health stuff. Modern. Their first guest was a guy called Alex Dainty, who was in a car accident and lost both his legs below the knee. I think it was below the knee. The second guest was me. (laughs) They had Andy Palmer. They've had Quentin Wilson. They've had Darren Turner. And then the world had to shut again. So they do loads of cool stuff. And it's the kind of place that we four would actually really enjoy because it's our people. You go there, you can go and have a look at a car, talk to its owner and have a natter. They have but one rule. Okay, they have a few rules, but the overarching rule is don't be a dick. Don't leave in a big plume of smoke, otherwise you won't be allowed back in. If there's a car you don't like, don't be a dick about it. You don't need to be. Just be a good human. It's great. I love that place. I can't wait to go back. It opened today. Sadly, I couldn't go up, but I'll be probably going up some point this month or next. Alex, that doesn't sound like a pub. That sounds like... Heaven. It is heaven. It's my second home. 
How wonderful. A place where you can go and talk about, you know, pistons and suspension and model details and then explore the part of the inner psyche that we blokes don't talk about enough. That's really good, isn't it? And that is a good rule to generally run your events by. If that's their guiding principle, yeah. I thoroughly approve. It's a good rule. Don't be a dick, yeah. Yeah, don't be a dick. That's the golden rule, isn't it? Just don't be a dick. It is pretty much. Yeah, mm. yeah it is pretty much. <laughs> if in doubt. Honestly, it's one of the most accepting, loveliest places because everyone's there for the same reason. They're there yeah. to have a look at cars and to talk about them. I went there one Saturday morning. Someone was talking to me about my three-wheeler. Somebody was talking to me about a Ferrari they'd just bought. And then this one bloke rocked up in a light car company rocket and was like, oh, yeah, this is the prototype one. And this it's had this done to it and that done to it. And do you want to go? And I was like, well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> go on, then, if you're twisting my arm. Wow. Clearly amongst friends. Oh, yeah. It's absolutely mega. Sherry, you got a car pub? I do have a car pub. I've got two, actually. There's one that I've not been to yet, but I almost met you there once, Gareth. It's not quite the car pub, but do you remember when we were maybe going to meet up at the bike shed in East London? Yeah. The bike shed. Yeah, that's quite the car club, isn't it? I think they even film some of North One's fifth gear there at the bike shed. Oh. Um, mm, so, yes, it's a bit of a venue. But the one that I was thinking of that is of interest in Australia in the Outback, and I don't know if you remember, do you remember David Bowie's music video clip of Let's Dance? And it was filmed at this... Let's yeah. Dance. That was shot in a real pub, and real they didn't pub. know he was coming. That was the real thing, wasn't yeah, it? I yeah. was, I've actually been to that pub, because I remember working on these film series, and we went and shot some of the footage out near there, and we went and stopped, through, and we went in. I didn't realise David Bowie had filmed in there until I went in there, but you'll see all sorts of very interesting outback Australian pubs, utes and things, and SUVs all parked out the front, because that's the way of life out there, I suppose. But yeah, that's one I thought might be close to the heart of some of the Brits, given David Bowie has been there. I can see it. Australian pubs are kind of different, aren't they? You have like tiled floors and tiled walls, so you can wipe the blood and, uh-huh. and death after the beer <laughs> off the walls, can't you? In the uh, potentially, yes. Well, it's also very hot out there, so it makes it cooler inside. Yeah. Mm. I love the Australian attitude to drink driving. When I was in Australia, I remember... Yeah, you get home, you're a legend. Is that, is that... <laughs> <laughs> That's so woefully irresponsible. They say, don't drink and drive, but if you get home, you're a bloody legend. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to say that. I was going to reference the drink driving warning signs that you see by the side of the road in Australia. Oh, right. Very to the point. I remember yeah. seeing one which says, if you drink and drive, you're a bloody idiot. Yeah, there's that one too. <laughs> That is to the point, isn't it? I prefer Sarah's, but... (laughs) (laughs) I know, you know what, we shouldn't really joke because there has been a lot of people that have caused some fatalities on the roads by being idiots. So, sorry, just a disclaimer there, I should probably say that. I'm not in support of drink driving. (laughs) Blanket statement, drink driving is bad. Yeah. (laughs) Very Throwing bad. it out there. Don't like it, throw it back, but don't come to my house. Right. Yeah. <laughs> hey! Zog, you were going to say something? Yeah, yeah, not a car pub, but a car restaurant, which you would also remember. We haven't been there for a few years, but... I know what you're going to say. Is it called Monza? Monza. In Kensington, isn't it? In West London. Yeah, Kensington, which is a fantastic place to watch a Grand Prix. The staff, the owners, they're very into, well, specifically 
Ferrari, and there's a lot of Ferrari memorabilia, signed stuff and photographs and stuff all over the walls. Great food, and if Ferrari win, there's free bubbly. Yeah. So, um, or at least there was. Oh, um, there you go. On at least one of the occasions we were there, and Ferrari won. If there was a risk of Ferrari winning a race, I would go there. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. You might put it off for a year or two at this point. I remember, Jacques, we went there. It must have been. 1998 or something like that. That's a long time ago now. I wonder if it's still open. And I remember meeting, I can't remember his name, but a Grand Prix driver, a Formula One driver who was there. He used to race in the 1970s. I remember him telling me that he used to drive what he put, the Surtees London Rubber Company car. London Rubber Company. Uh, and he was actually referring to when Durex used to sponsor Surtees in Formula One, the London Rubber Company. I can't remember his name, but I was made up to meet him at the time it's a lovely restaurant cafe bar italian themed motorsport is right in the core of what they do i've just looked it up it is apparently still there it opens at 6 30 though it's called giovanni now. giovanni that's still appropriately italian if it's still under the same ownership same management can thoroughly back around that yeah it's a great spot okay my recommendations apart from that these are all great recommendations by the way and the idea of going to bowie's pub what was it called sarah the pub that Bowie went to? Oh, the actual name of the pub. Oh, uh, it's know. in... Uh, let me look it up. Sorry about this. Yeah, no, I, I don't know. And while Sarah's doing that, Alex, tell me the name of your pub again. Caffeine and Machine. And Zog, Monza, which is now called Giovanni. Monza, which is now Giovanni's, apparently. So I was just having a look at Google. If you search for Monza, South Kensington, it comes up as Monza, but the Google listing is Giovanni Restaurant, 6 to 8 Yeoman's Row. Right. So both... We'll find out. We'll send people there and ask them, excuse me, are you the one recommended on Gareth Jones on Speed? Not that any of our listeners sound like that, by the way. Any joy, sir? Have you found out the name of this pub? Yeah, it's called the Cardina Hotel. So it's just a standard hotel, sort of motel pub. So it's nothing sort of leaned towards the name of a car or anything to do with cars, the name of it. But... It's the typical outback pub where you will see a lot of traditional Australian sort of Ford Utes and things like that all parked at the front. I have a huge soft spot for that album, Bowie's Let's Dance album, because in 1983, I think the album came out in either 82 or 83, but in 83, I was in America on my first ever trip to the States as a roadie working for The Alarm and U2. The Alarm were the opening act. They'd do their set, and then I'd scramble on stage and clear off all The Alarm's equipment to change over to the main act. And during that period, they used to play the entire Let's Dance album. So whenever I think of Let's Dance, I think of myself as a 22-year-old on a stage in America, coiling cables, probably talking to Bono. Voom, clang. <laughs> Ooh, clang. Was China Girl one of the tracks? Yes, it was, that? yes, yes. Uh, I can confirm that. Which was originally written for Iggy Pop. Yeah. Wasn't it, I think? Yeah. But Bowie recorded it too. Right, my pub recommendations, car pub recommendations, I've got two. The first one, I had to look this up today because I suddenly remembered it the other day. And I thought, Zog, you're going to love this. It was three years ago, 2018, June, and I was driving up to North Wales in a Lexus to do a thing. And as I drove out of Llangothland towards, where was I going, Llanberis or somewhere like that, I passed a car park to a hotel, and in that car park, 
was a traction avant. Ooh. Well, I say a traction avant. I love a traction avant. Love a good Citroen. See, I knew you'd like that. Good old Citroen. Not just a traction avant, but clearly more than 50 wow. Citroen traction avants from the, what, 1930s or 40s? When were they? Yeah, from the 30s through to the 50s. Yeah, they were, they were pre-war. Yeah, but stayed in production for a long time. Yeah. Because they were futuristic. First front-wheel drive family car. First front-wheel drive monocoque as well. That's right. Well, unibody type thing. My favourite fact about the Traction Avant is that because people of the era were sceptical that this new method of construction, this I think it was unibody or... It was yeah, monocoque. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right. But because of this new construction, a lot of people were sceptical that it would be safe and they worried how it would fare in a crash because, of course... Contemporary cars in the 30s were so good at crashing with such a high survival rate. And what they did, what Citroen did to prove the naysayers wrong was they went, right, follow us, follow us, follow us. Took them to the bottom of a cliff and went, shut up. <laughs> Pushed a traction van off the cliff, nose first. And they went, see, it's finer than another car would be. It's okay. <laughs> Early form of crash testing. Yeah. <laughs> Euro NCAF minus one. Yeah. Not too badly crumpled, you know. The very early days of crash testing. Before we had crash test dummies and we had crash test people. Yeah. So this pub, I looked it up today because I thought, let me find out what it was called. And I discovered the traction-owners.co.uk club. And I looked back at what they were doing in 2018. And it turns out that on June the 22nd in 2018, they were staying at the Wild Pheasant Hotel just outside of Klangoslan. And it was their annual rally. Oh, fantastic. That would be a wonderful get-together to see. I just listened back to the show. It was episode... 344 and I was absolutely aghast I was just talking about car spotting driving around North Wales and suddenly I thought hang on look, look at that oh Zoggard like that I said there's a, a light 15 oh my god there's another one oh there's more than 50 oh it was beautiful so that's clearly a very car destination they were staying there it's, it's more of a hotel and spa than a pub but I think it's a pub we'll class that but to finish this chat off, I know three of us here, and Sarah, you won't have experience of this yet, but your experience is coming. Possibly the greatest car pub in the universe is the Guinness Tent uh, at Le Mans, yeah. 10 o'clock on a Saturday night. Would you agree? Uh, yeah, we have a winner. Yeah. We have a winner. <laughs> I knew you were going to say yeah, something yeah. about Le Mans. <laughs> I can't imagine anywhere that's more a car pub than that. So rather than going to right. a pub that's yep. about cars, it's actually a pub at a circuit where the greatest race in the world happens. And only comes into existence on that weekend. It's a pop-up. Yeah, a winner. The conversation, if any of us make any sense at that point, is invariably all about cars, isn't it? Racing cars, road cars, and the poor quality of the Guinness. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell this matters to you, Gareth. This is clearly something that's much on your mind at the moment. By that point, the beer train has very much left the station for all of us, so the poor quality of the Guinness only is really a problem the next morning. Granted. That's very true, yeah. The rule is this, Zog, you know, if ever someone pours you a Guinness and then gives it to you immediately... You don't want to drink it. When you pour Guinness, you pour two thirds 
of the glass and then you leave it to finish its old sedimentation, precipitation sort of thing. And then you top it up with a third. Then you give it to them. Then you don't drink it until it's finished all its consolidation. And that's a proper Guinness. But at 10 o'clock on Friday night at Le Mans, all that goes out the window. It doesn't matter. Guinness, motorsport, beautiful. Toyota and Tesla have announced a collaboration. It's expected that Toyota will have access to a Tesla electric platform and that in return, Tesla will have access to a 1986 Toyota Tesla. When Elon Musk was asked if this deal was a little one-sided in favor of Toyota, he replied, Oh, I don't know. At least it was a wagon and a four-wheel drive version, just like the one Jesse Pinkman drove in Breaking Bad. This last week, Formula E returned to racing, and it got my attention for a little bit because I watched qualifying until I fell asleep. Because I'm afraid, I've said this before, and I'm not going to spend any more time damning Formula E on this programme, because I think it's great. It needs to be great. It will be great. It's going to get there. It's not there yet. But unfortunately, I fell asleep. I didn't find it exciting. The other electric racing series that also started in the last month, but actually started for the very first time, was Extreme E, Rally Raid Electric Cars, which I was really psyched for. I thought it looked great on paper, and I think it pretty much delivered when it finally became a TV show. Sarah, I know that you were psyched for it as well, because Extreme E has 50% representation for people with ovaries, which is a start. Did you watch it? What do you think? <laughs> ovaries, very good. <laughs> you mean females? Females have ovaries. Yeah, this is the thing. You can't say women anymore. You, you've got to say people with <laughs> well, ovaries or cervixes, yeah. apparently. <laughs> no, I think it's excellent. And actually, all of the drivers, all of the males that are involved, even Jensen Button has come out and said that they think it's brilliant that male and females are involved in this series. And I did watch all the highlights. I did miss the race live. And I thought it was tremendous. So am I allowed to reveal the winner and talk a little bit about who was involved? Yeah, it won't be a spoiler. You can reveal the winner. Okay. (laughs) Well, it was the Rosberg team and the Australian driver, Molly Taylor, she won. And she was the 2016 rally champion. So she's got a lot of really good rally experience. And I think Rosberg has done very well at recruiting her. And I think he did also quite a good job at recruiting her teammate. Now, his name is... Johan Christofferson, correct me if I'm wrong. That's right. <laughs> but he's got a lot of rally experience too, and I think that's probably why they did so well. There's quite a few other drivers in there that aren't specialist rally drivers. But still, I think it was an exciting race, and I think it's a really cool format. And sorry, spoiler alert again. <laughs> the cars actually go between the countries on a big ship because that's environmentally friendly. So I, I really like the concept of so all these things that are really helping the future of not only motorsport, but also the future of the world in terms of eco. Yeah, I think there are mixed messages. Obviously, the better thing to do here is not to move objects all over the world. Because whilst the vehicles are being transported 
on this ship, the St. Helena, that runs on a very clean version of diesel, which is called champagne, they reckon. That's what they call it. But it's not champagne. It's just very clean diesel fuel. I know we've mentioned this before. You know, that's still going to have an environmental cost to it as well. However, they are doing... But less than flying. Significantly less than flying. Less than air freight, so, you know. And also the ship doesn't run at 100%. Top speed, they're running at something like 70%, which is the equivalent of the double nickel, you know, the 55 mile per hour speed limit in America in the 70s and 80s, which saved America billions and billions of fuel miles, you might say. So they're doing their bit and they have this legacy thing, don't they, where they tidy up after they've been there. They're good boys. They make a mess, but tidy up. The whole thing, there's kind of a, a double side to it. So on the one side... They're going to these places, so they're going to the desert in Saudi, they're going to the Arctic, they're going to Greenland, they're going to the Amazon, yep. and they go somewhere else, and I can't quite remember. And the idea is... Leicester. They're ha- Alaska, right. So they're having... No, no, race- no, Leicester. Leicester. Yeah, yeah. It's a surprise, <laughs> but it's an environment. <laughs> it's, well, it's, it's an environment. <laughs> but the idea is, by racing there, they're drawing attention to the fact that there is some sort of climate change and environmental damage going on. On the other hand, is racing around in an area where there is climate damage going on a good idea? Mm. This is the debate that was going on on Twitter while the race was going on. And talking about the St. Helena, it runs on the good stuff. The idea is they carry absolutely everything they need on that boat. So there's no air freight at all. The only thing that would be flown over would be something in the arms of an engineer. The only flying bits are the people who are going to put together the race. On the boat, going between the locations, are a team of scientists. This is the bit that's really cool. They've got a scientific council that is right now taking pitches for projects. Yes, I read that too. And they've got scientists from all over the world, Oxford, Cambridge, Harvard, that lot, like proper, proper smart people, each with a different specialty and a different part of climate science. And they're going to have researchers on board. So when the races are going on, the scientists sort of go somewhere else and do something else because you can't really imagine Jensen Button running through a lab going, quickly, we must start the race. The car's not quite finished. (laughs) But then once all the drivers and teams have gone home, the science happens. And then because they've got so long to get between each location and they take such a weird route because they don't take traditional shipping routes, they can do some really interesting stuff. Or at least that's the plan. Well, it's a start, isn't it? That's a very good overview of how that works, Alex. I'm glad you've set that out. Like a lot of people, my first reaction to one aspect of this series was, yeah, is having a race somewhere the best way to highlight the risk to this beautiful, remote pristine area you know it does sound like a terrible idea on the face of it but given that these are electric vehicles and as you say they're cleaning up after themselves the damage you're doing is mostly just moving a few rocks from one place to another as they're kicked up by the tires and that's not a big deal you know if you're kicking up a bit of snow you end up moving a bit of ice and snow around that's not a big deal and if this series is helping to raise a bit of awareness particularly amongst petrol heads about climate risks, that's entirely a good thing. I'm not quite sure how valuable the science that people are doing that's associated with the series is going to be, because we understand the big picture very well and very clearly, which is that we've been burning too much fossil fuel for a long time. We've got to stop, and we're in big trouble. 
And so at the same time that this scientific element that they've included in the series, whilst it undoubtedly is going to have some value, it is also a PR exercise. It's a PR exercise that I'm very happy they're doing. And I don't want to be too cynical about it. The thing is, Zog, you're not being too cynical. I mentioned to you guys off-air, I interviewed Alejandro Agag, the chap who is behind it. He's the chap behind Formula E. He's also, having moved on from Formula E to Extreme E, he's also doing the E1 Electric Powerboat Championships. The guy really likes fast stuff. Electric. And I asked him, what is the point of this? Like, what does the motorsport do? Is it R&D for car manufacturers, for stress testing? Because that's what Formula E was for and continues to do. The Gen 3 Formula E car is a genuinely fascinating piece of technology. So what's the aim of this? Why are you doing this? And he went, marketing. Oh, he said that? Yeah. Fair play to him. Mm. It's a marketing opportunity. If you give me five minutes, I can find the quote from the interview. (laughs) Hang on. Hard please. Talk amongst yourselves. I read a fantastic quote today by Richard Washington, who is the Professor of Climate Science at the University of Oxford, who is one of the people who accepted the offer to join this science council working for Extreme E. He's on the ship travelling around doing science. And he said, this is not a direct quote, but he said, worth the effect, well, obviously the better thing might be for us not to go there at all. But you know what they say, in order to make omelettes, you have to break a few eggs. And yes, we are breaking eggs, but we really are making omelettes. The point that he was making was that they really are doing science here. Now, I take on board it's a well understood climate science at the moment. There's an awful lot going on into it. What more can we learn? But we have to take this guy's word that they are learning new stuff. Yeah, but like I say, the big picture, the important stuff is well understood. Maybe we are going to learn some more detail about just how quickly those Antarctic ice shelves are going to disintegrate and raise sea levels or just how much faster than we thought the transition from historical North Atlantic current patterns to very different patterns of currents that are going to massively impact climate in Northern Europe. Maybe there will be some useful work done there. It seems to me that the useful thing this is doing, you know, if you're going to sell this as being something that is good for the planet and doing good green things, it is in getting a green message and a climate change message out there and in saying this is a racing series that is climate aware and this is what we're doing to be as carbon neutral as we can. To me, that's the valuable thing. That's what they're doing that's good. Alex, you found your quote? I found my quote and I'm also looking for the science stuff. I had 35 minutes with the chap and I've luckily got it all referenced. So for the kind of point of it, I asked, so how is Extreme E going to make its mark and inform the industry differently from Formula E? And he said, well, what we want to provide with Extreme E is a marketing platform. So we want these brands to be able to use the platforms to sell more electric cars. They can modify the car to make it look like however they want it to look. So the example says here, so for example, if you're selling an SUV, you can modify the bodywork of the Extreme E car we provide to look like there. So that's kind of what they're going for on a, what it's doing for the industry. Yeah, Hummer are already doing that and Cooper. Yeah, with the science. So who have we got? We have a scientific committee that's led by a Cambridge professor and we've got Oxford people, Cambridge people an expert on ice caps, deforestation, desertification, ocean research, also pollution. I'm just having a look, so I'm scrolling through as quickly as possible. The scientists are really excited by the possibility of offering the chance for PhD research and young scientists to be able to be at sea to do experiments and research. I mean, that 
does sound valuable, to be fair. That does sound like a good thing to do. So the scientific committee is looking at projects that are being submitted to them by sort of young scientists, PhD, post-PhD, postdocs, those kind of people, to see whether they can do it. All I got on what's actually happening is, and we'll do our first big project in the Red Sea. I can't give the details yet because we're going to do a big announcement there. Okay. So they're going to do proper science. Here we are. When the ship is cruising, we're not doing the usual routes. There's no Greenland to Amazon set routes. So it's going to give unique opportunities to go to areas which are not normally travelled. And we're already looking at doing projects, especially to measure microplastics on different areas of the oceans and so on. There is interesting data to be collected. So, yeah, the off season is when the scientists will have the ship to themselves. Oh, that's intriguing. Okay, aside from the green debate, we'll call it a debate for now. How was it as a motor racing series? I think there was a minor flaw to this. I'd be interested to hear your reactions. Sarah, you watched some of it. You didn't watch it live? I didn't watch it live, but the, the format of it is very interesting. They sort of have these semi-finals and the people that qualify then the crazy race and just the way they format it and the way they set up the qualifying. I suppose that's the way they have to do it because they can't really put a whole heap of cars in the one heat, can they? which is that they'd all end up on top of each other. And still, even though they didn't do that, there was still times when the cars were a little bit on top of each other. Very much so, weren't they? Yeah. Zoggy, a crash fest? I didn't enjoy the race as much as I'd hoped. I was pretty stoked for it, and I was slightly disappointed. I mean, first of all, I could hardly see a thing once they got going in each heat because just so much dust kicked up. You could hardly see what was going on apart from where the lead vehicle was. So there's that. I understand why they have this three-race format where they're breaking the field down into three different races so that, as you say, Sarah, you don't have everyone on the track at the same time smashing and crashing into one another. But it does somehow lack the focus that a single race has... And I also, okay, maybe this is just me, I have a real problem with calling any part of it the crazy race. Agreed. Yeah, it sounds a bit childish. (laughs) If English is your first language, you don't call anything the crazy... What do you mean? Didn't you play Mario Kart 64? It's almost like a wild card or something. It's trying too hard. If you call something the crazy something, you're trying too hard to convince the rest of the world that it's interesting, worthwhile or wacky. He's a really wacky guy. They can at least call it like a repertage race or something. A way to make the final, some sort of word that indicates that if you do win that race, you could actually then join the finalists. Like a repercharge race, rather than a crazy race. Yeah, I agree, sure. Or at least a wild card. The universal term for wild card is being accepted into the top heat. Yeah. The Eliminator. Bear in mind, this is from the same mind that brought you Fan Boost. Oh, oh, God. Oh, yes. Fan Boost. Yeah, I've never been a fan of Fan Boost. Well, that's how, in the last lap of the Formula E, all this Fan Boost stuff created all these run-ins. But that's the Formula E. That's, that's another conversation, isn't it? But yes, I agree. The Fan Boost is a bit sort of crazy (laughs) yeah i mean i know why they're doing it it's to give a direct engagement with people watching at home the idea is that they can feel that they can influence the race they can become influencers therefore hate that word but they shouldn't yeah correct Doug. they shouldn't if you're sitting at home you have no right to influence the race it's the driver's job i couldn't put it better myself if you want to influence the race go and work for a team or drive a car 
Right. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah, you're right. The fundamental flaw is that immediately you put three cars or more than one car on a very dusty circuit, the plume of dust thrown up by the lead car prevents the car behind from ever getting past because they just can't see. It's a wall of dust. There are solutions to that, though. I'm guessing when they race in these different environments, that it's not going to be as dusty. You may have a bit of a snow spray, maybe, when we get to the ice shelf. Right. You might get leaves, I don't know, when you're in the rainforest, I don't know, or monkeys, or very rare beetles, whatever it is that they're going to trash while they're driving there. But there are solutions. I think that you make the circuit bigger. You have different gates. You say, okay, the gates are here. you got to go through these gates, and it allows them to divert but if you have to do two laps, then you've got to do the alternative gate the next time. So it gives everyone the chance of being in a clean piece of track, maybe. Something like that. Well, this dust thing is almost certainly going to be a particular problem for that desert track. Which, by the way, was Beautiful. spectacular. Wonderful, you know, with that big drop-off where they're piling down the hill. and It had a lot going for it. But when you kick up snow and ice, that's not going to hang around in the air in the way that dust did. And if you're kicking up mud driving around a rainforest environment track again that's not going to be hanging in the air in the same mm. way so i'm looking forward to seeing how it plays out in the other events they've got planned i think senegal is the next one in may ah wonderful i know that part of the world a little bit i went to gambia 1986 which is a little sliver in the middle of the senegal beach on the west coast of africa and i've actually done some quad biking there so yeah i think i know what they're going for it'll be cool on the beach there but let's come back to the whole racing aspect something that we said about it beforehand was that one of the problems with formula e is the sound that it lacks the sound and that i think we're right in guessing that extreme e didn't have the same issue that formula e does that the visceral quality of all the stuff being thrown up and the spectacle of the scale of the event fills in for the lack of sound and the cars looked dramatic didn't they the surface that they were running on was dramatic the circuit was dramatic it was magnificent and sound suddenly wasn't an issue am i right hey am i right guys yeah well just to refer back to the formula e event that you mentioned i watched some of that i didn't actually bother watching very much of it because i did not find it at all engaging i mean i haven't been massively in love with Formula E and I think it was partly because the Rome weekend without the crowds you're draining a bit more atmosphere from the whole thing and so it just seemed like a much more sterile event whereas with Extreme E you've got that wonderful arena dramatic playground for the racing to happen in yeah and yeah it had a dynamism to it that Formula E lacked so yeah I'm looking forward to the next one there were some good motorsport moments, and I'm not just talking about the crashes. There were some really horrible tumbles, really horrible tumbles. But also, was it Molly Turner? I can't remember if it was her, but one of the women drivers, one of the female drivers, I don't know what I'm allowed to say these days, managed to do her qualifying lap on three tyres. She shredded a tyre fairly early on and really worked hard to bring that car home and did almost her entire lap on just three wheels and I thought that was some of the best driving I've seen in a long time so there's some real talent there I mean you look at it on paper that mix of the likes of Jensen Button team owners like Rosberg and Hamilton and proper rally raid people Sebastian Loeb and Carlos Sainz Senior and uh, yeah yeah some 
real, real talent there. And a yeah. whole gamut of women drivers who are now getting proper exposure for their tremendous skills, Jamie Chadwick included, although she had a technical problem, didn't she? Uh, one of the, the car died. Uh, they broke their car in qualifying and it was too broken to mm. fix for the race. So, yeah, so they had to sit out the rest of the weekend. And there are issues with the cars, aren't they? They're still experiencing technical issues, but I hope they get that fixed. I think that was just an issue of not having a spare chassis. So I guess that's just an issue of kind of resources and how you're running your team. Yeah, I don't think beyond that there were really any technical issues with the cars, were there? They weren't overheating as far as I'm aware. That's true. They seemed to be putting cooling kits on the car when they were coming in the pits. And Yeah, I wasn't aware of any particular technical issues. Okay, then. It's got minor flaws at the moment, like any new series. I think it'll get off to a great start i'm going to ask you how you would fix it what changes would you make to extremely either to make it better or funnier or both and did anyone actually watch the final race because i watched all of qualifying one and two i watched the shootout that crazy race and all that was available on YouTube, iPlayer, wherever. But when it came to the two final races, the semi-final and the final on Sunday, it didn't seem to be on YouTube. I didn't watch it. Did it, you guys see it? I couldn't find it. I mean, I watched it all as replays. So yeah, I'm not sure. I had a problem with the skybox, I think, if I remember rightly. But that, yeah, that's a whole other story. Ask me after the next weekend. All right, fair enough. How would you change it, Sarah? Well, I think you're right there. They would have to hopefully make it a bit easier to watch at home. They've got all these races that you have to watch. When you're doing Formula 1, it's pretty simple. You've got the qualifying, and then the next day you've got the race. So there's just sort of two things that you really need to engage with. But then with this Extreme E, you're watching, like, yeah, the, the crazy race, the semi-finals, the finals, and that's obviously the nature of the beast because they do have these big cars that they all these teams have to race against one another. But if they made it a little bit more easier uh, to digest, maybe that could be a bit of an improvement. Maybe even just change the term crazy race to something a bit more... Yeah, yeah I'll start there. Yeah. I'll give you that. <laughs> Zoggy? The one change I would make is finding a non-terrible name for the crazy race. That's the one okay, change I made right on now, and I, yeah. I'd hold We're off on making agreeing. any other decisions until after I've seen another event. The way I would change it is I would add another race on top of the crazy race. I would have the zany race. <laughs> ah, there you go. Where everybody has to wear a colourful hat. <laughs> An eco-friendly colourful hat. Oh yeah, made of recycled newspaper, like old copies of the Evening Standard, cut into funny shapes. And dyed with crushed beetles Beautiful. rather than synthetic dyes. Yeah. That would work, wouldn't it? Yeah, the old Blue Smarty method. Cochineal. That's the beetle dye, isn't it? Cochineal. Cochineal, that's right, made from beetles. And, uh, okay, if there's Extreme E, does that mean that if Extreme E is like the Formula One of Electric Desert Raid. Does that mean there's room for like a Formula 2 and a Formula 3 and a Formula 4 and a Formula 4? You know, there's a ladder. Does that mean that apart from Extreme E, there's less Extreme E? There's conservative E, there's very limited E, could we see a ladder on the way up? So you go extreme E, then down to mildly perilous E. <laughs> yeah, I like it. Soft road E. <gasps> Yeah. Soft road E. There you go. That's the starter in the ladder, isn't yeah, it? Is anyone really going to want to watch 
I don't know, a few teenagers running around the course on electric scooters. I mean, you know... Oh, well, did you see this week? What? There's a new electric scooter championship coming oh, out. Oh, wow. These things do 100 kilometres an hour. No! It looks like a new and exciting way to pick up a life-changing injury. You've seen this share, have you? Yeah, I've been on one of those scooters. They're unbelievable. This sounds super dangerous. I want to check it out. A few people that I've met around Hyde Park have got those electric scooters, and they absolutely, like, yeah, zoom. They are so fast. Yeah. Yeah, but they do like 15 miles an hour. These things do 62. Oh. I mean, yeah, that's unbelievable. Yeah. You've got to wear a suit of armour for that, haven't you? <laughs> Those regular scooters feel like they do 62. These other ones, they really do. I mean, you get some quality racing there. <laughs> And what's it called, this race series? Do we know? Oh, man, yeah, we do. Hang on. Scooter Hell. How to Break All Your Limbs. Hang on. I think that's a good title for it, yeah. Sponsored by your local A&E. Extreme A&E. Donor Scoot. It's called (laughs) E-Scooter, so it's little E, capital S, K-O-O-T-R. Uh-oh. E-Scooter. That's even worse than Crazy Race, isn't it? There we have a winner, ladies and gentlemen. Something worse than Crazy Race. I want to see that, but I think we'll leave it there for now because we're out of time. You've been listening to Gareth Jones on Speed with Sarah Leach. Goodbye. Alex Goy. Bye. Zog. Goodbye. And me, Gareth Jones. Don't miss the... It's not called the San Marino Grand Prix, but there's a race at Imola. It's the Emilia Romagna, isn't it, this weekend? Last word from each of you. Who's going to win? Society. The fans. I'm going to say... Too close to call. Lando Norris. I think it's going to be another ding-dong between Lewis and Max. I think those two are going to be fighting it out super hard all year. But I go for Lewis. Sarah, what did you say? I said Lando Norris, just to put a McLaren driver in. I would have said Daniel Ricciardo. <laughs> but I think Lando Norris might do okay. But I think, at the heart of hearts, it probably will be a battle between Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton. But you never know. I'm going to say Yuki Tsunoda, just because... Why not? And we'll find out if any of us were right in the next episode of Gareth Jones on Speed in your ears in a fortnight. Say bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. Bye. Everyone. bye. To send us an email, see pictures, get song lyrics, join our Facebook fan site, follow us on Twitter, or to find out about sponsorship opportunities, go to garethjones.tv. Gareth Jones on Speed is made in London by Whizbang. Gareth Jones on Speed!